chapter 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, as we left off previously, Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Paul had been blinded and told to go to into the city of Nineveh and await further instructions. And here, Ananias went his way, went into the house where Saul was, put his hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, he received his sight, and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Ananias went out, and found the house where Saul was staying, and went in. Notice this, the first contact with the church, the saved former pharisaical terrorist had, was the kindly touch of a fellow believer's hand. The very first word spoken to this man, that was just recently breathing out threatenings and slaughter, that was guilty with the death of other Christians, the very first words spoken to this man from another believer's lips were Brother Saul. He must have gone straight to Paul's heart. The very next words Paul hears after Brother Saul was the Lord, even Jesus. What a mighty, gracious, and loving God we serve. Paul was not chastised. Paul was not spoken to in an angry manner. But instead, he was addressed and loved on as a brother in Christ. What can we learn from this? There was no judgment. There was no saying you have to change this in your life. Nothing like that. There was just love, an embrace, a welcoming. Brother Saul welcomed him. Welcomed this new Christian who had before been a terrible sinner and done great damage to the church. Welcomed him. How do we welcome people in our churches? How, what can we learn from this? Do we have a judgmental attitude towards them? Or do we welcome them in? People that may have a bad reputation in the community, do we welcome them in? People that may not look like us, do we welcome them in? Saul was feared. Saul was persecuting Christians. Saul was sinning greatly against the church. Yet he was welcomed in. Brother Saul, a warm embrace, and he was called brother. We need to apply this principle. No judgment, no condemnation, just a warm embrace and a welcome to a fellow Christian. Saul's sight is immediately restored and he is baptized. He resumes eating and spends some days with the disciples. Saul immediately preaches Christ as the Son of God in the synagogues. To the amazement of all who heard, and knew his background. How he destroyed those in Jerusalem who call on his name. How he came to Damascus to bring them bound to the chief priests. Paul increases in strength, confounding the Jews who dwell in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Acts 9, 20-21 And straightway he, Paul, preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them? which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. Matthew Henry had this comment about Paul. He was so full of Christ himself that the Spirit within him constrained him to preach to others. He preached in the synagogues of the Jews, for they were to have the first offer made them. Here is where he used to preach against Christ and to punish his disciples. But now he is preaching Christ, Jesus, as his Lord. Paul prior to his mission trips. When people think of the life of Paul or Saul, they probably think of his persecution of the church prior to his conversion, 
his vision of the Lord on the road to Damascus, his three missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts, and how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. What may not be as well known are the years immediately following his conversion. His conversion likely took place around 35 or 36 A.D. His first missionary journey began 45 A.D. So what exactly was Paul doing during his early years as a Christian? Well, knowing the zeal of Paul, it was not likely an idle time of his life. There is three years in Damascus and Arabia, A.D. 36 to 39. Initially preaching in Damascus, immediately after his conversion, Paul began to preach Christ. We see that in Acts 9, 19 to 22. He spent time in Arabia. He did not stay in Damascus long after his conversion, Galatians 1, 15 to 17. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. His exact length of time in Arabia is uncertain, but most commentators seem to agree that it was the greater part of these three years. So what he did is unknown. Though some think it was a time of personal reflection and revelations from the Lord, Galatians 1, 11 to 12. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. This is the key part of these verses here. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, what he preaches, the gospel he preaches, is not after man. His own words say, for I neither received it of man, I didn't get it from man, neither was I taught it. Nobody taught me this gospel, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying the gospel he preaches is revelation from Jesus Christ. Many speculate that his time in Arabia was a time that Jesus Christ taught him by several revelations, what he would later write in his epistles and preach around the world. It is in this time, after his time in Arabian Damascus, where Paul, after his initial introduction to him, spends 15 days staying with Peter. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall during those 15 days that Peter and Paul hung out together, talked about the Lord. To have been a fly on that wall, that would have been amazing. Peter probably telling Paul all about his time with Jesus, all the many miracles, everything he saw Jesus do, everything everything he saw Jesus speak. And then Paul probably telling Peter, what well, the last three years he's been teaching me in the desert. I've been learning from revelation of Jesus Christ myself from the desert. And then getting together and just talking about the Lord and rejoicing about everything Christ had done in both of their lives and how he had changed both of them and how he's using both of them. Oh, to have been a fly on that wall during those 15 days. By the time Paul had returned from Arabia and spent those 15 days with Peter, his essential theology was formed. The great truths of Christ's cross, Romans, Christ's church, Ephesians, and Christ's second coming, Thessalonians, which were at the heart of those pivotal epistles, were firmly fixed in his mind. Acts chapter 9, 26-27 And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. We have already met Barnabas in chapter 4. He was a Cypriot Jew of the tribe of Levi. 
we find now in this setting that Saul was a social leper to everyone in Jerusalem. They viewed him with strong suspicion and distrust. But Barnabas believed in him. He had taken the time to talk with him. He sensed in him the innate honesty and sincerity of the man. Is there somebody, perhaps in your church, perhaps new to your fellowship, that has a very bad reputation? Do people shy away from this person, from what they've heard about him? Have you taken the time to talk to that person? Have you taken the time to get to know that person? Barnabas did, and Barnabas was able to introduce Paul to the disciples. Barnabas introduced Saul to the highest ranks of the church. John Phillips made this comment about this meeting. He introduced him to Peter, James, John, to Thomas, Matthew, and Bartholomew, Andrew, and the rest. What a meeting that must have been to see Saul looking Simon Peter in the face, to see Simon, his suspicion melting, giving Saul a big fisherman's bear hug, to see Saul and John greet one another with a holy kiss. Oh, what a meeting that must have been. This is something to imagine with your mind's eye, to think about, to contemplate on. What a wonderful meeting that must have been. Acts chapter 9, 29-31, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galatia and Samaria, and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. He spake boldly. Those that speak for Christ have a reason to speak boldly. We have a good cause to speak boldly about. Paul disputed with the Grecians. The Grecians, or Hellenist Jews, were most offended at Paul because he had been one of them. They drew him into a dispute in which, no doubt, he was too hard for them to counter as he spoke very boldly for the Lord, as he had done against the Jews at Damascus. They went about to slay him. The Jews had a similar reaction to Paul as they did to Stephen. Paul was now on the opposite side of the mob, set on murder to stop someone speaking so convincingly about Jesus being the Messiah. Now it's Paul's turn. Now Paul is speaking convincingly about Jesus. Now he's on the opposite side of the mob in Jerusalem. He was on the side of the mob that stoned Stephen to death. But here we see now Paul has been changed. Jesus has come into his life. And now the persecutor is being persecuted. So now we see Paul has a return to Tarsus. The place of his birth, Acts 22 verse 3, is stated that it became the center of the preaching in the surrounding regions of Syria and Cilicia. Churches in Judea heard of this preaching in Galatians chapter 1. Little else is known of this period of Paul's life, though it may have been a time when churches in the area were established. Acts chapter 15. Paul suffered persecution not recorded in Acts. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He had the vision of paradise, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul then left Tarsus with the arrival of Barnabas. Miracles of Peter. Now let's examine some miracles of Peter. The healing of Aeneas. Peter comes to the saints in Lydda. He meets Aeneas paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter tells him that Jesus Christ heals him, and he arose immediately. All who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. The raising of Dorcas. At Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha dies, a woman full of good works and charitable deeds. Her body was washed and laid in an upper room. 
Two men were sent to Peter nearby Lydda. Now let's look at Acts chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. Then Peter rose and went with him. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Peter's actions were evidently modeled on what Jesus said and did when he raised Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 43. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept, and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And when he took the damsel by the hand, he saith unto her, Talitha, kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I sing unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Did you notice in verse 37, And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John. Peter was with Jesus when Jesus healed this young lady. So Peter's actions were evidently modeled on what Jesus said and did when he raised Jairus' daughter in the passage we just read in Mark chapter 5. Jesus on that occasion put all the mourners out of the room, took the child by the hand, and said, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. Well, if you notice, Peter, in our passage, clears the room. Jesus sent everybody out of the room. Peter sends everybody out of the room. Peter kneels down and prays and says almost the same thing Jesus did. Peter says, Tabitha, kumai. Or in English, Tabitha, arise. Jesus said, Talitha, kumai. Which means, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Peter here says, Tabitha, kumai. Tabitha, arise. Who can imagine the emotions on Peter? Emotions of Peter when she opened her eyes. And he knew she had come back from the dead. He most assuredly must have hearkened back in his mind to when Jesus had done the same thing. And now Peter, the thrice denier of Christ, the rough and unpolished fisherman, Jesus had just used to perform the same miracle that he did in Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9. Peter hearkened back in his mind. He saw Jesus perform this miracle. Never thought himself worthy enough to have done anything like this. Now here Peter is put in a similar situation, and Jesus uses Peter to perform the same kind of miracle, to raise Dorcas up. You can imagine Peter was just overwrought with emotion. 
overwrought with emotion. But also, Tabitha's mourners must have been equally overwrought with emotion. It is just amazing what God can do. And it is equally amazing who God can use to do it. Thank you.